It's time to start rallying around America's young conservatives and explore what it means to be a young Republican in the 21st century. In a world where it seems like everyone under 30 must be a liberal, these are the stories you haven't heard before from the voices of America's young conservatives. So let's find out what it truly means to be raised right. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Raised Right podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about the Derek Chauvin trial case. It was a really big current event that happened this past week that I thought we definitely needed to do an episode for, but I didn't want to like just talk about it myself. So I invited two of my Turning Point colleagues, James Dunn, who's been on the show before, and Reagan Escudé Scott, who is a super, super cool chick that I met at the office, and she was canceled too. So all three of us canceled conservatives are going to get on and talk about the current event drama of the week. So welcome, guys. Thank you for having us on. Yeah, absolutely. So just right out of the gate, let's talk about our reactions to the trial. I knew, you know, for me, watching it going, you know, on for three weeks and then the verdict coming back within 10 hours, like that's wildly disproportionate for, you know, a trial this big. And so I knew, you know, even then that it was going to come back guilty. I didn't expect it to be on all three accounts. Um, So I think that really surprised me. But I think, you know, it was just, there's so much to unpack there. So what was your guys' reaction to it? So my big thing with this is being guilty on all three counts um, really tells me that the jury really didn't care um, about what the outcome of the of the verdict was going to be, um, because all three charges mean um, extremely different things, um, including the manslaughter charge, the involuntary manslaughter charge. So to basically convict him on second degree murder and involuntary manslaughter, it really showed that this jury was kind of scared um, to go anywhere other than uh, guilty on all counts. And I think a lot of people don't understand that the varying degrees of murder um, in those charges don't necessarily mean that we don't take it as ne- necessarily seriously, but within the law. And, uh, you know, for me, I don't think Derek Chauvin was a especially awesome dude. So I, you're not also you're not going to you're not going to feel a tear from me um, about this verdict. But at the same time, it's it's something that's very um, important to look at as a degradation of our justice system and our values that a mob mentality and the social justice can affect a court case like this and that um, it's going to be the eroding of justice as we see it in the United States. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, you from the very beginning before this this case even began, you know, uh, the trial even began, it was it was already corrupted. Right. Like you, you've had BLM literally rioting in the streets and destroying this country over what really was a lie. I mean, his defense did a phenomenal job of of proving that he really had a case for um, no charges. Um, and you know, me personally, I don't, I don't think he should have necessarily walked. I think he, he, there were things he didn't do right. And, uh, that he should be held accountable for accountable for that's what justice is. Right. Um, but I do think that, you know, when you have the family getting a settlement for $27 million before the trial even begins, when you have Maxine Waters going out telling you know BLM to be more confrontational if we don't get the outcome that we want, and you have the president of the United States saying that he's praying for the correct outcome, I mean, you're already setting this up for an obstruction of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, with, with all this cancel culture stuff going on, you have jur- jurors who are terrified that people are gonna come to their house, they're gonna find their address, they're gonna, you know, 
whatever. And they're fearful of that. So you already have this corrupted scenario where you really can't seek out true justice um, when you have all these factors. And aside from all of that, I mean, I think Derek Chauvin has a case for appeal and I think he needs to make one. Um, I think that's actually what his lawyer's doing right now. They immediately filed an appeal and hopefully they'll go on trial for that. I mean, but with all of this obstruction, with all of these, the Congresswoman, Congress people and the president making these comments, I mean, he already has a case to appeal it and throw the whole thing out. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people feel that way. Even, even the judge, said, you know, Peter Cahill told his defense attorney, Maxine Waters' comments are enough to get you an appeal right right out of the gate. He was not happy about that. Hearing that from the federal judge who oversaw the case, I mean, that's it's a big deal. And it's, I think, you know, hopefully he does file that appeal. And I'm with you guys, you know, I don't necessarily think that he should walk free by any means, but there was such an obstruction of justice in this. And it was so glaring from, from the very moment it started. And one thing that we talk a lot about, you know, from the journalism perspective is like this balance of the First Amendment and the freedoms of the press to cover, you know, big media events like this, weighing that against the Sixth Amendment, which uphold the rights of the defendant. And a lot of times the press kind of overruns that. And I think we definitely saw that with this case. What do you guys think? Well, it was interesting because I think... The last big case that I really remember kind of sort of paying attention to was the Casey Anthony trial. And if you compare how the media reported that versus how they reported on this, I mean, it is a stark contrast. Um, but that's but that's what social justice does. You know, when you when you talk about social justice, it's not really justice. Uh, you're just trying to appease the crowd that's causing an uproar and they don't care about justice. They don't care about George Floyd. They they want special treatment. Um, and that's what they're getting with this. And, and, and unfortunately, Derek Chauvin is, is the brunt of that. But if you look at, you know, the Casey Anthony trial, think of the outrage that, that people could have had over that, uh, you know, cause I think all of us, I mean, that really kind of kept up with it, see that she was guilty, uh, but she walked free and the media covered it pretty balanced in a balanced way. I think, um, if I, if I recall correctly, and then you look at this now and it's like everybody, you have the media, you have the left, you have people in government all pushing for this one man to be convicted without even getting him a fair trial. No, I a hundred percent agree. And I think you're starting to see that it's not even going to get better and that no one's learned from their mistakes so far. Um, especially what happened with the 13 or the 16 year old girl who was shot, um, in the act of, of stabbing another a girl, we've already convicted this cop. LeBron James has already come out and tweeted about it. He's next. He's put a target on this cop's back. And now we've already moved the mob into a spiral in which there is no um, basically going back from it, right? That, you know, we're always just consistently looking for the next cop, looking for the next cop, looking for the next cop. And I'm going to tell a lot of people that if you're going out in the world looking for bad cops, you're going to find them. But if you go out in the world and you start looking for good cops, you're also going to find those too. And I think that people are trying so hard to prove this narrative of what's going on in the United States um, to try and put blame on their lives for something, um, thing, their their democratic policy is not working. Um, and that, oh, well, it, it's not working because this, we have the systemic racism in the United States. And um, it can't necessarily be that, you know, welfare is not working or, you know, uh, these uh, criminal justice reforms aren't working or decriminalizing all these uh, drugs isn't working as well. Um, it has to be systemic racism. And so I think just this narrative is just going to continue to spin out of control over and over and over again until 
um, it, it's going to have to get really bad before it gets good again. And unfortunately, I just think this is the beginning of it. And I think it's going to get much, much worse. Yeah. And I think, James, you bring up a good point about everyone thinking like all cops are bad. They all have to be. And I think, you know, in every single profession, there's good ones and there's bad ones. I mean, look at how many medical malpractices there are every year in the United States. Why are we not suing doctors? Why are we not, you know, making huge media uproars about that? I mean, there's so many instances of this across every profession. Why are we so, you know, anti-cop all of a sudden? I, I, for me, I think I think it's just an easy target. I think for a really long time, uh, it's been part of the pop culture and part of the um, the narrative for liberals for a really long time that you know it's a, a system of white supremacy and that you know you unfortunately people don't like to talk about how uh, down in the south during the liberal uh, racist part of the country part of the times during like brown versus board of education the police were used to enforce racist and jim crow type laws and they want it's easy to believe because there is a faction of truth and some of the best lies have a little bit of truth in them and unfortunately this narrative has that little bit of truth in the history that there was there were racist cops back in the past so it makes it easier to believe that there's all racist cops now um unfortunately we're just gonna have to it's just gonna have to play itself out and a lot of these people just really don't have a lot of run-ins with the police and so they just they just see what they see on tv as somebody who was an emt that used to work the streets every single night and run have run in with cops and drugs it's like the george floyd case was a nightly thing for me um rolling up on somebody who was high on fentanyl um saying they can't breathe saying all this a, a drug addict saying what they needed to do to try and get out of a of a charge um so that's nothing new for somebody who's dealt with that before. But for a lot of Americans, the only time that they're ever going to interact with the police is what they see on the media or maybe a traffic stop or something like that. So um, unfortunately, until the media changes and restructures, uh, I don't think there's anything that's going to help that out. And this corporate media is, is never going to uh, change that way if sensationalism just continues to sell ratings like this. Well, James, you know, I haven't I actually you brought up an interesting point about, you know, the history of United States and, you know, Jim Crow laws and police enforcing it. That's actually something I don't think, maybe I'm just like, you know, not as far on the left side of Twitter as I probably need to be to keep up with their talking points, but that's really not something I've heard so far. So that's interesting to think about, but, but part of me, you know, the whole time you were talking, I was thinking, I was like, I think it's almost like bigger than that. You know, like, I think that Democrats policies are so bad and they know that they're so bad, they have to make an enemy of someone. They have to, so, so they won't be the enemy uh, because people are too stupid to think critically and realize, hey, you know what? These Democrat policies are actually what's causing all these problems. These Democrat policies are what's keeping people in poverty or what's keeping pe people in unfortunate situations and, and keeping them, you know, where they have to resort to drugs to, to survive or they have to, you know, do all these things. Um, so because of that, I, I believe that they have to make an enemy. And in this case, unfortunately, the police are that target. And so if they can point fingers to the police and say the police are the systemic problem, I mean, the 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 ridiculous, the stuff I saw on Twitter after Micaiah Bryant, the 16-year-old that got shot, uh, was literally trying to stab a person, literally trying to, like, kill a person. Like, that's what you do when you, like, have a knife fight. You're trying to kill the person. The things I saw on Twitter saying, oh, that's just kids being kids. I mean, it's just like, you guys are just like reprobate. Like you, you, there is no, 
How do you come back from that? How do you even justify that? Um, and so it's it's that kind of thing. Like they they will literally say, even if it makes no sense, even if it's the most asinine stance, they will take that stance because they have to maintain that the cops are the enemy. They have to because if they lose that, then what? What's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then they're held accountable. I mean, it's this super big idea of the blame game, like everything that happens in the world is someone else's fault. And that's such a big issue with our generation. And especially I think the Democratic Party is that there's no accountability whatsoever. It's everyone else's you know, problem that these things are happening. And it's going to take like looking on the inside and checking ourselves to really understand you know, the truth of it all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, yeah, I and I know Reagan's uh, especially Christian person as well. I, I attribute a lot of this to, you know, the lack of faith that's been going on in the United States. I mean, for the amount of people that consider themselves Christians and, and this Christian nation that we're built on Christian values, I mean, a lot of people don't go to church. A lot of people don't practice the religion. A lot of people don't go into that. Um, it's just been a really long time where we've re- replaced religion with politics um, and that we've put up these false idols of Donald Trump or false idols of, of, of Bernie Sanders or, or Barack Obama or whatever. And instead we're not accountable to anybody. Right. So if we're not, you know, if there's no God and people are, aren't practicing the religions and we're, we're straying away from this morality in the United States, what's what, even if there was a need for accountability, who are we accountable to? Right. Um, and I think just, it, it's going to be one of those things where it, it's going to take a revival back in the United States of, of Christian values for this to kind of come back the way it is, because until then there's no accountability. There's no reason for accountability for any of this. Well, I think too, I mean, you're talking about people who hate God. I mean, they, they hate children. They, they don't believe that children deserve a right to live. They, uh, they, they are so reprobate and so depraved. They hate God. Therefore, you know, if you don't, if you, if there is no God, there is no truth. If there is no truth, there is no reason. If there is no reason, then you can believe anything. You, you and you're susceptible to being deceived. And I think, you know, what we've seen, especially over the last year, is just the way uh, the church has been so divided. You've got these these Christians who, you know, I like to call them nominal Christians uh, because they're Christians in name only. Um, and, you know, the people who they just know John 3.16 and Philippians 4.13 and like that's that's the extent they might go to church, but they but they don't truly understand the gospel. They don't truly understand what biblical justice is. They don't truly understand who Jesus is. They don't they don't get it. Um, and so when you have that, you're open to being deceived when, when you don't make your foundation, the Bible, and you don't take everything back to God's word, you're open to, to deceit. And so you have these pastors who are deceived and are deceiving their flock and who are telling them that, you know, social justice is what we've been fighting for because, you know, Jesus helped the poor. Jesus cared for the minority. Jesus cared for these things. And they take it entirely out of context in a way where you're literally equipping this congregation of professing Christians or progressive Christians. My gosh, have you guys seen like the, 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 these progressive ideals and people call themselves Christians and they're like LGBTQ affirming and like all it's just insane but you have these people who who compromise on biblical doctrine therefore there's no source of authority so if there's no source of source of authority or objective truth then nothing really matters i mean you you can claim jesus was whoever you want to claim he is you can you can fight for social justice and social justice is always at the expense of someone else um because it's not really justice justice is impartial you can't look at derek chauvin and look at him being a white police officer and say he deserves to be you know charged with all these three crimes when 
the, the basis for the argument is the fact that he supposedly killed a black person when that was really disproved. I mean, the autopsy showed that George Floyd didn't die from, you know, his, the knee on the neck. So it's just it's just this conglomeration of of there's no truth. There's no reason. And it, it's actually scary because you're seeing the godless mesh with the professing Christians. And that's a problem. And when you see the world and these professing Christians kind of unite and, and hold the same frame of mind, uh, frame of reference and have, have the same opinions. I mean, that, that's a point of concern and should be for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should do like another episode on like politics and religion. There's a lot to unpack there. It's a heavy, heavy topic for sure. But I want to go back to, I didn't say circle back, I'm not Jen, but I want to go back <laughs> to one of the, the nuggets that we talked about there was the evidence of the autopsy. And we hear that report being read, you know, in the trial, it's overwhelmingly showing that he did not die by the knee on the neck. And then you also have the video of the knee on the neck. And all the media was just hyping up about like, how do you look at anything but just this video? I don't think that jury was well equipped to be a jury if they couldn't look past one single piece of evidence. Because... to look at like everything you know all all things on the table and if it's just one i don't know maybe that's just me what do you guys think i I think for me it was uh the lack of critical thinking that went behind it as well um because for me as an emt the first thing that i ever i I saw was when i saw the autopsy was that he died with 40 percent more than the lethal limit of fentanyl in his system now people take that at face value and they go okay well you know i've seen people live with this amount of you know the the prescription that, that they use in hospitals um, that's under anesthesia, under a doctor's care with nothing else in your system, let alone meth, right? You can't have fef- fentanyl mixed with meth in your system. But on top of that, another thing that they didn't uh, take into consideration is the digestion slash metabolism rate of the fentanyl. It takes your body one to five hours. Um, so from the beginning of the tape to the end of the tape is about one hour and five-ish minutes. So that means if Worst case scenario, Derek, Derek Chauvin pulls over George Floyd. George Floyd stuffs the whole thing of fentanyl in his mouth. And he that means 25% more was in his system before he died um, than what was found in his system during his death. So we're looking at 55 to 60% more that didn't metabolize in his system. And so when people were looking at this and going, Oh, well, you know, that's, that's it. That's all, that's, that's all we have to say about this. It's like, we're not, we're not taking the critical thinking steps. And unfortunately for me, as a, as a, somebody who, who was watching this case a lot, the prosecution didn't make their case at all, at all. And like, the first thing they had to do was throw out their own autopsy and take the, the Floyd family autopsy to charge um, Derek Chauvin, right? Their own autopsy doesn't even show them, um, make their own case for them. So I think there's a lot of, of, of facts in this case that the, the prosecution stated they made claims. There was no warrant. There was no impact. There was no backing for any of these claims. They didn't prove anything. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand is the state has the burden of proof to prove these charges. They didn't prove them. So as a result, Derek Chauvin should have walked, um, not not as a morality thing. I think he, what he did was bad. As an EMT, they tell us, 
it's like an old football term, and I'm sure Reagan will appreciate this as an LSU. You never leave the game in the hands of the ref, right? So you never want to put your – as an EMT, first responder, whatever, you never want to put your, your career in the hands of somebody else. Don't ever put yourself in a situation, right? I don't think that was a, a great hold to put somebody in. I, I've, I don't recommend ever putting somebody in it. It is a legal hold. Um, they tell us barely don't tr- use it unless you have to, but never put your career in the hands of the ref. And he did. And unfortunately, um, these jurors were just not critically thinking well enough to get past that the, the prosecution never made that case. Yeah. And I think when the video first came out last year, I mean, of course, you have everybody jumping on the narrative. Everybody just, I mean, you have the media, you've got the left-wing social media activists. I mean, they're jumping on this narrative, t- calling, you know, cops racist and all this stuff. And you're, it's really just one segment of, I mean, I don't think it was until like June or July that the whole body cam video came out. I mean, and George Floyd, like, first of all, said he couldn't breathe while before he was even on the ground. I mean, he, the, you could tell watching the whole video, the man was not okay. He was not in a in a good frame of mind. Uh, he was panicking, he was resisting arrest. And he said, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And the cops were like, okay, man, like what, like get in the car, like we can roll the windows down. What do you want to do? And then he's the one who asked to be on the ground. And, and I think those things matter when you watch a, 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 you know, one minute long clip of Derek Chauvin with his knee on his neck and you come to all these conclusions, you don't know what happened before then. You can't make you can't make a, a judgment on on the scenario and who's the right, who's in the right, who's in the wrong. Now, it looks bad. And I remember when it first happened, I was talking with my family about it. I was like, yeah, I was like, it doesn't look good. Like probably shouldn't have had his knee on his neck. But at the same time, we have to be slow to judge. We have to be slow to make because then then what you know, because facts matter. Facts do matter. And if we're not taking those things into account, then it's like I said earlier, like nothing matters. You can say whatever you want. Yeah, and that's where media is so dangerous is when they decide to only pick up on this one minute clip and make that the entire narrative of the whole case, the whole trial open to close, like that's the book. When there's so many other factors that you just talked about that had to do with the story that I've never seen anybody talk about, not even like Fox, Newsmax, like these things are not in corporate mainstream media. And that's why, you know, I kind of walked away from that side of the journalism world because they're so such a lack of transparency even though that's what they preach and that's why we the american people have to step away from the tv and take the time to do that research on our own about these things because it's like insane how much of the story there is that you never hear about absolutely and oh go ahead ahead. no you're good go ahead oh i would say uh to kind of piggyback on a lot of what you were saying reagan is another thing that a lot of people once the narrative has, has been set and once you saw that video, um, the long extended video, we weren't going to see that unless it, it, it got leaked. And I don't think we would have saw it if it didn't get leaked. Um, yeah. And an, another big part of it is what fentanyl does to your system is it stops your ability to uh, expel like, like, I guess for lack of a better word, toxins or like just waste in your lungs. So when George Floyd is saying he can't breathe, you should believe him because he was suffering from pulmonary edema from all the drugs, right? His lungs were filling up with fluid. They were three times the weight of a normal human being's lungs when they were put on the autopsy table. So when he said he can't breathe, you should believe him. But the problem is people in the media should like in the, what we were talking about with the Casey Anthony should go, Hey, 
this is what happens with this drug. This is what it happens. This is why he's saying he can't breathe. That's what a responsible media should do. But instead okay. it's like, we want to make this. And we kind of hit on this a little bit before is like, well, what's the next step after hitting cops? Right. I think this is just what all we're trying to do now is just trying to make this a stepping stone to just hating white men in general. Um, and I I've seen it a lot as a white man before it's just, Oh, you can't talk about this topic because you're a white man. Oh, you can't, you can't do this because a white man. And we've been seeing it. We've seen it on topics like abortion. Now we're seeing it on social justice and we're trying to shut people out. So, because if you can just shut down an argument because you're a white man or you're a white woman, or you're, you know, you're not black or you're not this, um, it's going to be so much easier to shut down dissent in the United States and shove these agendas down everybody's throats from now on. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's also a segue. I mean, Rayleigh, you were talking about the media and how they're complicit in all of this. I mean, it, it is a segue for the Democrat party to take full control of this country and to take whatever steps they have to, to turn this into a socialist nation. I mean, we can see this with their efforts with, uh, they're trying to make it a one-party state, and and if we're busy fighting each other in a race war, uh, they can do whatever they want. Because because what's so interesting to me, I mean, I AFC, there was a video of her earlier this week talking about how, you know, systemic racism is a cause of climate change, and uh, the trampling of indigenous rights is a cause of climate change. It's like this racism narrative is there is there like buzzword for everything i mean if 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 they want something done if they want something pushed through congress or they want something voted on by the people all they have to do is say it's racist if you oppose it and and, and that's really dangerous and what's even more dangerous is the media is is supporting this too i mean you saw that with the voter id laws you're seeing that now with trying to make dc a state evidently it's racist if you oppose dc statehood well hey to break it to you it's in the constitution like mm-hmm. DC was never intended to be a state. And so it, it's this it's this insane uh, narrative that's being pushed and and you've got the media backing it up. And so it's really hard for conservatives like us to say, hey, hang on, here's here's this voice of reason, here's this evidence, here's these facts, here's these things that we should probably take into consideration. Uh, but then we're racist for even challenging it. So it's it's a very dangerous uh, arena that we're stepping into. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what the solution is quite honestly. Yeah. It's a, it's a control tactic. I mean, if you tell someone that, you know, they're wrong because X, Y, Z, they're not going to be as offended if you tell them, oh, you're wrong because you're racist. If you disagree with that, like that's a heavy word to throw at somebody. And I've been called that Reagan. I'm sure you have too, James, you have like, at least Reagan and I get the female card, like James is like out there, you know, you don't matter for anything. And that's, you know, such an easy way for them to just cut off the population. And like Reagan said, to just turn the population against each other and then do whatever the heck they want in Congress. And it's, it's scary, scary stuff. So one thing I wanted to hit with this case that, you know, I thought was really interesting is this is the first time in Minnesota's history that they have had like full cameras in the courtroom from beginning to end of a trial. What are your guys' thoughts on cameras in the courtroom? I'm, of 100% for it, um, but I think the jury should be kept in a separate room. Um, and I think that just for, you know, now that we're in this cancel culture age and everybody can dox people and find out people, I mean, what, within two minutes we found out who the Colorado shooting or, or shooting person was once he was shown on camera. Um, people are really good at research nowadays um, and doxing. And just for, I think it's, I think it's important to have cameras and have a live feed and that be able to click into it. You'll get so much more information uh, for us at 
I know like a couple months ago, Pastor Rob McCoy was fighting in California in a trial and to keep his church open. And you were just seeing all these articles in the news about Pastor Rob McCoy. He's like causing all oh, people are getting COVID and he's killing people by keeping his church open. And then you go and you listen to the trial and you're like, oh, this is like the most civilized thing that I've ever heard. And you're actually like getting more information. I think uh, giving that people that option to watch the trial or even like go back and watch it later. Uh, I think that's one of the things that they really need to do is be able to, you know, it almost like a Netflix of trials, right. Where you just go back and be able to watch it. Um, I think more people are going to would are open to doing that. And you, you see that with long form podcasts like Joe Rogan, where people are willing to sit through and listen and watch and get those primary sources. Um, and I think we just need to make it more available, but also protect the jurors that mm-hmm. are, are, are in there. Yeah, that's something I really hadn't thought about before, but I, th- I agree. I think uh, too many people get their source of information from Twitter uh, and they just read what's on Twitter and then they form opinions based on what the people on Twitter are saying. But I think it makes a huge difference when you can sit down and watch the whole thing and say, OK, well, you know, here's the court of law. We can either, you know, trust that the court of law is going to carry out justice the way it was intended to, or we can just you know, agree with this Joe Schmo on Twitter, who's saying, you know, whatever fits the narrative. And so I, I think, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I was like, I think we have to have primary sources and I think we have to have the, that those records to go back to and see, you know, this, this is actually the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know a lot of people were upset about, about that. They were like wanting to shut the whole thing down and that it never should have been broadcast. And it's like, wait, 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 the intent was totally there. It's totally, you know, transparency is everything. And we need that but the execution failed horribly. I mean, you guys brought this up. Those jurors, I mean, their names should not have been out there. For journalists to be able to go in and completely dox several of the 12 of them, like they're scared for their lives at this point. They have BLM outside the building ready to set the country on fire if this goes the wrong way. They have their families at home that, you know, are probably scared for their lives depending on how this goes. It was just like, they were so just skewed by the end of this, I think, that they felt so much pressure to make the right decision based on the social justice warriors and not not the facts and not the truth. And that's how the justice system is supposed to work, like innocent until proven guilty. We've seen so many people get off that are evil people, but that's the point of the justice system, you know, and it's so disappointed by how it all played out. Well, it didn't even need to be a hypothetical, right? Where like we saw the defense attorney, his former house, not even his actual house, um, because the information they got was bad, was vandalized with pig blood um, all over his house uh, for him defending a pig cop, right? And it's like they showed they were they were willing and able to go and make violent attacks on people during this case. I don't understand why there wasn't a mistrial immediately done after those those names of those jurors. Like, at what point could you go? Hmm. Well. The jurors, their names and information has been released to a media and the defense attorney's house has already been attacked. In what world would you think that you're getting a fair trial? Like yeah. in what world? And so that's why even the judge said at that moment that they have grounds for appeal at that moment. So I don't know why the judge didn't throw out a mistrial. I think it's for the same reason as I think the public the public perception of him throwing out the case and doing a mistrial and then restarting it all over again would have caused a lot of backlash. I think it's just going to take a lot of, and we were talking about before, what it's going to take for people to stop is just not be afraid to be called racist and just continue on 
uh, some of the states that are best doing the best right now, Florida, Arizona, um, is because they have governors who just don't care about being called racist. They don't care. They, yeah. they just wipe it off and look how great everything is. And I don't see a lot of people, you know, packing their bags and moving to Minneapolis anytime soon. So, I mean, maybe we should follow in that example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So final question here for you too. I mean, unless you got any of the things that you wanted to talk about for sure, but let's say he gets an appeal, we get another trial. What, what do you think would happen? I mean, I, I, what? I would say he gets off. He's off. Yeah. Well, well, I think that's the thing. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that he was convicted of all these things and, and, you know, will end up uh, serving more time in prison. But I think people are not smart enough to know what an appeal is. They just, they just see, Oh, Derek Chauvin convicted. Cool. Like judge hasn't even made the sentence yet. I don't think that I know of. Um, and so you have, you know, this appeal, people don't know what the appeal is. They don't know what it means. They don't know what it does. So when they have a whole trial, over the appeal, it's going to be old news. I mean, they're going to come up with something else in the new, like, I think if he gets off, hopefully with the appeal, then it, it, it'll fly under the radar. I don't think it'll fly under the radar. I think it'll be headline news. And I think it will be a big outrage that he gets um, appealed. And I don't, here's my uh, hot take. I don't think he'll get another trial. I think um, on the grounds that he will not be able to get a fair trial, that they're going to drop all this stuff and that they're not going to, once it gets mistrialed, it's not going to get tried again because there's no way, there's no way unless they move it to a different country that they're going to get a fair. And, and honestly, what it's going to take is going to be able to hold the media accountable for some of the things that they're saying in the media. Um, Unfortunately, I like, I, I am for freedom of the press, but there needs to be a defamation of some sort on pending lawsuits or pending crime criminal stuff because the swaying of the media or the swaying of people before uh, a juror um makes a decision and in doxing people and and obstruction of justice like I, I really think that any media outlet that posted any of the information of the jurors needs to be charged with obstruction of justice i think any you know congressperson or elected official that made a statement about this before it was done needs to be charged with obstruction of justice like there really needs to be a heavy-handed approach to this if there isn't then there's not going to be a justice system anymore and god forbid either one of us three that are already hated by the woke community gets convicted of anything we're never going to get it for a trial i think it really sets the tone for what the justice system is going to look like for the rest of I mean, a while, maybe even the rest of the country, if the media controls the narrative and the you know, justice system doesn't correct that or make it right, that sets a precedence going forward. I mean, every one of these decisions obviously has some weight, but I think this one's definitely a big one. So we'll see. Who knows? It'll be interesting, and we'll be on the front lines pushing back against it whenever whatever happens. Absolutely. Yep. The words of Charlie, we've got a country to save. <laughs> Yeah, they can't cancel you twice. Yeah, I know, right? Like, what else are they going to do? Yeah. Get us another dream job? Oh, no. <laughs> well, thank you both so much for taking the time to come on and, and talk about this and have this conversation. Yeah, thank you for having us. It was fun. Absolutely. Whenever you want to do it again. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. We'll talk soon. Enjoy this episode of Raised Right? Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to catch the next episode. 
And be sure to like and follow us on Instagram at Raised Right Podcast and Facebook and Twitter at Raised Right Pod. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.